some other questions may come up based on things that you say during the conversation. So those are just kind of a guiding framework. We may or may not ask all of them. Hey, buddy. <laughs> that kid got so big. I know. <laughs> yeah. he, he just turned three. Hey, uh, I've got a bathroom issue I got to go deal with. So uh, I'll be back in a couple minutes. Sorry. Wait, are we doing poo water again? <laughs> uh, I don't think there's any water. I think this is all dry, thankfully. But yeah. The views and opinions of authors expressed herein do not necessarily state or reflect those of the United States government and shall not be used for advertising or product endorsement purposes. Hey there, C41A listeners. Greg Taylor here announcing a special series of episodes. We wanted to spend some time with our fellow MSC officers out in the Air Force world especially those that have unique deployment experiences, and learn how their time downrange helped them grow as an administrator and as a leader for their future jobs. So, we sat down with these MSCs and got their stories, and we think you'll enjoy getting to know a bit about the people we serve with. If what you hear provides you with a moment of inspiration or makes you curious to learn more, we encourage you to reach out to the people interviewed or to us here at C41A.com and ask a question or let us know your thoughts on these stories. And now, on with the show. Welcome to another special episode of the Seat 41A Podcasts. I'm Christopher, and my hosts are... I'm Manoj Rima, and my favorite kid's show was Tom and Jerry. Hey, and I'm Greg Taylor, and my favorite kid's show is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And my favorite kid's show is Bluey. So here with us uh, for this episode to share his just deployment experience is Ildar Abragamov. So Ildar, welcome to the show and uh, thanks for coming on. We're excited to have you. Uh, so do you have a favorite children's show? I do. And I know we chatted uh, previously, but I actually changed my mind. So I would say if I had to pick one, it will be DuckTales. Well done. Woo! <laughs> I was waiting for someone. I'm glad, Greg. It was a close call between DuckTales and uh, Cheap and Dale Rescue Rangers. But DuckTales won at the in the end. DuckTales uh, is great. Yeah. But, yeah I don't yeah, think there's a wrong answer, really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for having me. Ildar, tell us a little bit about yourself. Maybe a little bit about your background. I understand you have kind of a unique background and kind of a unique journey to get to where you are now. So do you care to share some of your background with us? Oh, uh, yes, absolutely. So first-generation American uh, immigrated to the United States back in 2005. So I ended up winning the green card lottery back in 2004. And if you, um, I don't know if you, how much you know about the green card lottery, but the, uh, every year each country gets its quota for green cards. So you apply, you go through a lengthy process, and if you get selected, you get you get to immigrate to the United States as a, a green card holder, which is essentially the same as a U.S. citizen. You just can't vote. So I ended up uh, winning a green card, immigrating to the United States in 2005. After spending about a year as a civilian, joining the Air Force as enlisted. So I went open general, which means the, uh, your job is assigned to you at BMT, end up getting the 4AO. So I was a 4AO for about two years, knowing that I wanted to do four-year contract, apply for special duty postal. So I was a postal troop for two years. When I was postal troop, I uh, applied for commissioning. In those four years, I finished my master's degree, so I applied for commissioning. I uh, got picked up as an MSC, uh, and then PCS3 Charleston is my first assignment as an officer. Ever since then, I've done most of my career. I've done IT, 
Uh, so Charleston was first assignment, was an IMIT flight, uh, systems flight commander, RMO, GPM, and then did education with industry with IBM. Uh, my follow-on assignment was uh, as a staff officer at J6, DHA. From DHA, I went to Nellis as a systems flight commander. I've done GPM, and at Nellis, I've done uh, two deployments as a, as a GST ground surgical team. More recently, about eight months ago, PCS to San Antonio as an SGA for 559 Medical Group responsible for uh, basic military training um, site, as well as the Randolph Clinic. So that, and that's, that's the position I'm currently sitting uh, as an SGA. So um, if you know about 59 Medical Wing, uh, it's, a, it's the only medical wing in Air Force. So we have uh, six groups under the 59 Medical Wing, and uh, each med group has uh, its own SGA, as well as the wing, SG, uh, wing has its own SGA. So we, uh, we have a quite unique structure. So I'm in the current job learning the intricacies and the complexities of San Antonio markets. <laughs> it's been a good ride so far. Yeah, that's a pretty neat position or, you know, it's a one of a kind location, I think, as a at, at the level that you're at, where there's so much inner working between facilities and between groups and squadrons within the med wing that, mm-hmm. you know, at the lower levels, you really just I, I don't think see that as much or have to are responsible outside of your one organization as much, but hats off to you. Cause that's a really challenging position to find yourself in. So um, yeah. And, and, you know, we got lots of uh, feedback, you know, prior to bringing you on about, you know, like the good job that you've been doing. And so it's one thing to be there, but another thing to even to thrive. My biggest concern was uh, when I, when I got picked up as an SGA is uh, I've been stuck in, IT world for quite a while. I think when I would look at my vector out of 11 years as an MSC, I've spent seven in the systems. <laughs> so that's uh, that was my biggest concern because my knowledge of uh, RMO logistics was pretty outdated. Uh, I mean, uh, I've done GPM for, for three years, so I wasn't worried about like health plans or just a statement of operations, that, that kind of stuff. But the, uh, working with RMO and logistics was a concern, but they have a great team here. So they uh, I always end up relying on uh, our... Uh, enlisted airmen or GS employees to to guide me through those specific functional areas then I'm not as strong as a, as an IT. Okay, so you heard here first, I am IT specialty matched officers make the best SGAs. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, so just throwing that out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah. <laughs> No, it's really it's really great to hear. I know like for me you know, I know, I know Ildar and I, we, we go back quite a few years. Uh, I was first introduced to you from Colonel Spillers, who was my first SGA when I was at Laughlin. And she said, yeah, you've got to reach out to this guy. He's like the sharpest uh, IT MSE, you know, that I know. And, you know, I think I reached out to you via email and I, I don't remember if you were already at Nellis or, or not, or if you were at J6. I was um, at J6. Yeah. I think that's when the IBM we, uh, opened up again and we, we chatted about it. Yeah. 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 So we've been we've been talking for quite some for you know for several years now. Uh, so it's it's great to hear that, uh, especially for me, and I don't know for some of the other IMIT officers maybe that are listening that the opportunities for IMIT folks are are there at the SGA and the the squadron command level. Uh, I, I do want to ask you about. So you said something interesting. You know, I think we all know how big the 59th Medical Wing is, but to hear you say that there are six groups and each of those six groups have their own SGA plus the wing SGA, you're in a really unique position where I, I think, at least in my mind, where you might be able to rely on those other SGAs more so than, say, 
you know, for instance, you know, we had the standalone SGA at Laughlin. It seems like maybe they were there by themselves. Do you feel like there's a, a big support network there uh, amongst the other SGAs? Yes, there is. It's also interesting that almost every group has a deputy SGA and it's a typical GS. I want to say it's GS12. It's vacant right now for the 559 medical group where, where I'm SGA at. But typically we, we have our um, kind of like a huddle slash meeting with the wing SGA. And that's, a, that's our opportunity to sync up with everyone and to make sure we're on the same page. But the uh, but, uh, support network here from other SGAs is great. I think the only challenge is, at least for uh, people like me, we geographically separate. I've been at Reed. So sometimes it's um, it's much easier to, things, to get things done when you can meet with someone in person, right? Which is not necessarily the case for me. Another SGA that's geographically separate is a, uh, Ben Meegan. Uh, he's sitting over at Bamsey. But as far as support, I can't complain. Uh, we're getting great support uh, from um, from other SGAs. Uh, another interesting thing about 59 Medical Wing, you know, your typical resources that SGA can coordinate, uh, like RMO, logistics, IMIT, right? They all centralized. So uh, 59 Medical Wing has a 59 Medical Support Group. So as an SGA, we get our resources uh, allocated to us from that group. I don't own any resources per se. I just coordinate with the 59 Medical S- Support Group. So they assigned me my, my budget analyst. I, IMIT is, now that we went to DHA contract, we had local support, so they operate on tickets, so we don't really have a assigned MIT tech. Uh, logistics, uh, we have assigned contract managers, et cetera. So it's, it's kind of com- complex, but uh, a lot of times we um, encounter some obstacles. I will reach out to SGA for that specific group, and uh, he will assist me with uh, getting things done. And same goes for others. Uh, sometimes I'll, I'll bounce my... Uh, questions, uh, especially being a junior SGA here at the Fitzgerald Medical Wing, just to get their take on it, uh, to figure out what, what what should I do in that specific situation. But overall, yeah, I can't complain. The support here is great. And just again, I think every MSC gets that spiel, right? Uh, you need to be really good at networking and <laughs> grow your network. So, And your reputation goes a long way. So so I would say, yeah, networking is uh, pretty key for um, any type of MSC job, but more so for SGA. Yeah, it's the only reason I'm friends with these guys. So. because of our reputations yeah exactly so Ildar thanks for sharing your SGA perspective I know you mentioned about deploying on a GST a couple of times do you think that some of your experiences on the GST helped set you up for your role that you have now or like what what did you gain from those deployments so I think I'll have to preface that uh, I became an MSC specifically to avoid being involved in patient care. And uh, here, here I am, right? Two GST deployments. <laughs> so I think I just didn't expect to enjoy it as much. And I think the biggest thing I've gained is the ability to, I know we operate as a GPMs, right? And we're supposed to understand physicians or clinical personnel and being able to collaborate with them to keep the mission going. But I think deploying as a GST, being in that solo MSC among clinical personnel, just gives you that more insight and makes you well more well-rounded MSC, in my opinion. Especially if you're uh, an SGA in in the in a med group where you have those uh, some of those assets, right? Like ER, you have if you have an operating room, so you you can speak their language a lot better if you have that GST experience. Uh, and plus, it also gives you an opportunity to uh, use different style of leadership because um, we are accustomed to leading like support side of the MTF. But now as an MSC, more than likely, uh, unless there is a big discrepancy in the rank, you're going to end up being an OIC for the GSC. So your style of leadership needs to be 
uh, probably needed to, needed to change compared to leading the support side because now you leading uh, clinicians. So that, I think uh, if I if I had to pick one thing that I've learned from G, uh, my diploma as a GST is be able to practice different styles of leadership that would uh, that would end up helping me in, in the long run as an SGA. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. That's really great. If if I can, I'd like to maybe just kind of pull on that a little bit. So talking about your changing your leadership style as you're on the GST because you're you're working with more of the clinical side. How do you feel that you had to adapt or change the, your leadership style from what you would normally see in the MTF? And how have you carried that into your current SGA role? And do you feel that you're only using that when you're dealing with the clinicians or you're passing that along to our, our fellow admins as well? I think, uh, so being, uh, being in IT for a long time and uh, coming from technical background, right? So I, I'm used to, I mean, all, all every pretty much every MSC type A personality, right? But so whenever I lead the IT team and being a technical subject matter expert, so for me, sometimes uh, it was difficult to delegate the decision-making, uh, whether in the GST world, especially when it comes to clinical operations like an EOR, I will defer to, depending on uh, what's, what's happening. For example, I would say to my surgeon, like once we in EOR, I'm no longer OIC, you're in charge, right? So you just kind of yell the commands or whatever needs to be done, right? Because I'm not going to even pretend to... Uh, to bot people around to try to get things done because I, I don't really understand what needs to happen in the OR. So I guess that, that was a little bit different for me because been leading the systems flight or just the flights in general, kind of reserved decision-making in any kind of situation to you as an officer, right? I mean, you still you still bounce off the ideas and uh, some of the co-ops from your personnel in your flight. And in that GST environment, it was, uh, that's, that's when I had to adapt, right? So... Uh, in a war setting or e- ER setting, when we have to recover patients, I'm a body to assist, but uh, the leadership role changes to a uh, surgeon, ER doc, and whomever that knows more about the subject matter expertise. And for me, being an MSC, it was kind of an interesting adjustment, which I had to make, right? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that perspective. So when you left to go out on uh, your GST deployment, did you feel like you were prepared? for what you ended up getting into or were you surprised by the way that that unfolded once you got there? So I think uh, our like phase one and phase two training prepared you pretty well. Uh, it's just some intricacies of depending where you go. Uh, without going into details, my uh, two GSC deployments were drastically different from each other. And I think it's just, there's no way you can prepare for it because the intricacies of where you go, who you're going to support might change uh, every deployment, right? Uh, but I think overall, the the training that we get as an MSC for the phase one and phase two are uh, good enough for you to understand what your role should be in GST and how GST should operate. I'm sure the p- folks at AETC, you know, like this little home cooking there, the, uh, appreciate those words, you know, that the training is is effective and preparing you as as much as one one can before you actually get in and understand your unit's mission and, you know, the people that you're supporting. Mm-hmm. I think there's some fine tuning, but I think it's, it's something we can pick up as an MSC on the fly, right? So in certain locations, you will have access to EHR and then you just have to, uh, if you didn't get the training on Alta T or even uh, TMDS, you'll just pick it up as you go because it's not difficult, but maybe some fine tuning, but overall, as far as the you know, classroom portion or phase one, and then uh, in the field and camp bullets phase two. I think that prepares you uh, well enough for you to be the leader for the uh, GSC. I mean, you want to understand everything because that's why you have those clinicians on the team. So that's why you have to rely on them to uh, to be the leader in that specific situation. So 
but overall the curriculum that was built for GST specifically for MSC, I think is sufficient enough to to prep. Another question is whether that MSC wants to be on a GST because <laughs> it's not for, I don't think it's for everyone because uh, I know like personally myself, uh, like I shared, I became an MSC, so I don't have to see blood or deal with the patient care. Uh, but as an MSC on GST, uh, again, depending where you go, you will definitely see that and you have to, you'll have to deal with the system of patient care. So it's, it's, it's all fine working on, the, I forgot what they call them, live patient modules because they don't want them to call us uh, pigs, but it's different when you work in a live patient module versus when you get the trauma patient in the middle of nowhere in the FOB. So I think that one is uh, difficult to prepare for, but phase one at least will give you an idea of the hecticness. Yeah, I don't know if that's even a word, but the whole situation will be hectic and you as an MSC is supposed to bring calm to it. And one thing that probably can be done better is the whole nine line thing. Because I don't know what your, Greg, your experience, but I've never used the radio for nine line. It's all based on the... Merck chat. So I think the some of the fine-tuning of the training uh, will make the, your training experience as close to the real GST deployment as, as you can. But that's that's just nitpicking. But overall training, I think, is pretty well done. You mentioned there were some drastic differences between the two GSTs. Is there anything you can talk about or anything you can say about that or how they were different? Sure. So first deployment was back in 2020 during the height of COVID. We deployed to Afghanistan. So we deployed to Bagram and like typical, typical GST got our 14 bags and then forward deployed to undisclosed location. <laughs> so first mission was the, I'm not going to name the locations or people were supported, but it was essentially, we were treating the local militia that was in, in, involved in the fight with Taliban. So we were not treating as GST uh, US soldiers, but the Afghan nationals that were, I forgot the actual code, uh, PATCAT, patient category for them, but we we essentially could uh, run them through the, the whole gamut of our uh, expeditionary care. So once we fix them up, we'll send them to Bagram to get like a full surgery. And then the second portion of that deployment, we did the training for what Afghan was trying to do is uh, stand up their own GST. So we were we were training the local docs and the, their definition of surgical techs and the yard docs to be the expeditionary force. So that was kind of interesting. So we went from being a GST to kind of teaching, teaching role. The one in Syria, uh, so that was my second second deployment. So our mission was more of a humanitarian mission. So we were uh, supporting the local village and providing them non-trauma surgical care, and that involved anything from uh, appendectomies to uh, C-section. So that was interesting. So we will fly on the mission, but only two of them were like a life-saving mission. The rest of them were scheduled surgery, so to speak. So it was pretty interesting. We had to uh, adjust our GST bags yet because we didn't we didn't have to take anything, all 14 bags with us. We just take what we need for that specific surgery. So it was more like, um, it was like an Uber surgery. So the, <laughs> working with a specific unit, they will uh, identify those. Most of them are beneficiaries of the fighting force, like Syrian fighting force. So we will take care of those beneficiaries. So... Uh, we've done 26 uh, surgical mission, and I would say about 14 of them were C-sections. Okay. So can I go ahead and say that you should call it Deliveroo service then? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. Nice. Uh, but Thank was, you for joining us for this episode. That'll wrap <laughs> everything. Uh, but that one was interesting because um, Opcon, Adcon, and Tacon was to three different entities. So being able to understand three of the bosses and what they need with Adcom being the easiest one, right? Because uh, as long as you do your LOE and then DEX, 
and don't get in trouble, you're fine. <laughs> but the OpCon and TechCon was pretty interesting because uh, it was completely two, two different entities and it was also different operations. So if you know about that area, they have two operations going, uh, Spartan Shield and the Inherent Resolve. So I was supporting both. So that was kind of complexity. So Yeah, I can I think uh, make it really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing that our our army counterparts, MSC officers and 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 others in the army as well, they have a lot more training and more understanding of the command relationships than I think we do, or we don't talk about it as deliberately as they do, but just in my time in Ascent, one of the usual sources of either a breakdown in communication or something that should happen but didn't happen it comes down to a lack of understanding of the command relationship in one in one way or another it's one of the most important things to get an understanding of once you once you get there is you know who do i work for and who's allowed to tell me what to do is very very important so i'm glad you brought that up yeah, but also uh, just got to gotta give a shout out to uh, Absent. Uh, one of the things, again, go, goes to my lack of experience was the logistics portion of the of the deployment. So uh, as we arrived at that specific base, uh, their uh, TACON changed. So it went from uh, SOCOM to regular army and SOCOM took their logistics supply chain with them. So we got to the base with no supply chain established. <laughs> so it took uh, it's a collaboration with Absent and the uh, and the army, actually big army, to uh, to establish it. But I think uh, my lack of logistics experience was a detriment initially. But being a quick learner, I was able to figure out. I mean, it took me a month or two, but we finally were able to establish the supply chain. But again, like I said, just like any good MSC, uh, figure out the command relationship and also understand how relationships go beyond uh, just the immediate ones, like relationship with Afsend, right? Being able to identify POCs that can uh, that can help you in your job, in your, in your, in your job in deployed environment. It's definitely a, a common theme in a lot of the interviews that we've had so far, and I think just generally we'll hear this a lot in our careers. Just we may not know what to do, but we know who to call, and if they don't know what to do, then they know who to call, and eventually we will get to someone who knows how to take care of the problem that's in front of us. So that is always, I, I, I do love that about our, our core. Yeah, one thing is also being uh, not being able to admit that you, uh, you have a lack of knowledge, which what I did. I essentially, re- when I was reaching out, I was like, hey, I've never done logistics, much less deployed logistics, so I need some help. <laughs> and then if you're honest up front, uh, people, people are willing to help regardless of whether they're Air Force MSC, Army MSC, whatever. You just identify a problem, identify a potential solution, and they can help you figure out the schematics of getting there. So you mentioned at the beginning, you know, you've had so many years of IT experience and it kind of worried me when I first came in as an MSC that I didn't want to be stuck in one area for a long time because I knew my goal of maybe becoming an SGA and maybe a squadron commander someday. I would want a breadth of knowledge because I didn't want to be that commander that only knew one or two or even three things max. That's kind of what I was told coming in. You may get to three areas and you're lucky. Then you're in some staff jobs and some maybe mm-hmm. some opportunities for AFID and thing. And that got me worried. But it was, it's nice to hear that at least, you know, you've had the seven years of IT. And I don't, I don't know if that in your mind has hindered you or has it helped you or even as has this GST that you've talked about helped you become a well-rounded MSC in your mind to 
help you be an SGA and maybe even become an SGA at the the higher level next. Has that, have you felt like that's been a detriment having all that IT experience or it's been good or, you know, what's, what's helped you along the way? Um, I think, and I'm, I'm, you can, you can, you can tell I'm, uh, I'm real passionate about it being an IMIT here, right? So not that it's not the case for the other functional areas, but especially with the Medco and Genesis, your problem solving skills, it's like 10 times what we what we used to have on on AFNET. So your ability to figure out the solution, and especially if you've done Genesis transition, to you'll have to collaborate as a projo, you'll have to collaborate with the the entire MTF and being able to like essentially being a project manager because that SGA is kind of like a mix between operations and the project manager because <laughs> you'll you'll get both. So I think not I won't say stuck, but being uh, doing this one functionality for a long time it's not a detriment. And I'll say a cliche phrase just to do the best job that you that you're currently in because the the person that picked me as an SGA we worked together when I was a J6 and he was the he was the group commander here that picked me as an SGA. So you never know because uh, he was he was also fellow IMIT here, uh, group commander here. So I'm I'm guessing when my name came up on the SGA list, uh, he picked me, and then the rest is the history. So I think it's a detriment just. If you end, uh, end up being in that one specific function area for a long time, just learn as much as you can about the function area, but also try to do some kind of project that will allow you to venture off to uh, different MSC functional areas. Because I bet you any one of them involves uh, other function areas. Like in uh, IMIT, I will always uh, uh, work with RMO, that's for sure. Because uh, apart from uh, our funding being centralized at DHA J6 now, but... <laughs> There's also some creative solutions, right? So with uh, working with our more counterparts, logistics, another one, uh, for example, more more recently, we just transitioned our entire uh, IT equipment to demos, right? So that I, I bet that was like a big lift, but I took probably a, someone with MIT background working with the logisticians to, to make that happen. So again, it's not necessarily detriment, just I'll repeat the same phrase that probably every... Uh, You've heard other MSCs say that just do the best job you you currently in, and you never know the person you work for right now might be the group commander that will pick you as an SGA going forward. Yeah, that's kind of what I've gathered being in for just under eight years. That's kind of what I've been hearing, and kind of everything I've been seeing as well. You know, whatever section you're in, whatever area you become a SME in or specialize in, you're still going to have a lot of projects. You're still going to have a lot of problem solving. You're going to have a lot of negotiating a lot of working with others, a lot of leading opportunities. It doesn't have to be <laughs> IT-specific RMO, which I'm in right now, specific. It, there's just a lot of opportunities to grow as a leader. Yes, you might have some knowledge in one area that will help you if you have a problem with that same area as an SGA, but those problem-solving skills translate on so many levels, and definitely good to hear that that's uh, worked for everybody. And also, like, w- working on your soft skills, right? Your ability to... Uh execute projects because that involves being able to uh, have certain level of emotional intelligence to be able to lead cross-functional teams and sometimes leading the teams that don't work for you. Kind of like what I'm experiencing right now when we have resources resources that centralize, yet I need to use them to ex- execute the mission for, the, for my medical group. So soft skills is all definitely um, something that you should you should be working to, to fine-tune those as you go through the functional services in MSC. Yeah, you bring up a a great point because as in SGA, you don't necessarily have the authority, but you have a lot of influence. So do you find that you have to lead more through influence rather than authority? It sounds like that's really exactly the case for you. 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. Like you pretty much got it, right? So SGA is more of a consultant to group commander on all matters of support. But yes, the ability to build that relationship with you with this with the squadron commanders within that med group, but also across the wing, if it's a typical typical base with when you have mission support group, et cetera, right? But it's more of like yeah, being being able to influence the the approach that I, t- I took is uh, to be able to influence uh, people that I need to influence is uh, I'll try to knock out some kind of a project or something that's pretty high on their list, and I know I can do. Like I would get with squadron commanders, like, hey, what's what's num- like one through five priorities for you? And if I can ident- identify something that I can help them fix, there is that your relationship built with them. And then you can, when it comes to making decisions within the, your specific medical group, now you have someone that they can support you because you you just took care of some something that's, that was important for them. Hopefully that makes sense. So essentially, you probably should be doing the same thing with your boss. So as you're arriving to a new unit, uh, you should figure out what what their priorities are, and then knock out the ones that can be uh, can be easy kill, so that way you can build your reputation and getting things done will be much easier. So let's uh, switch up the topic here, and we'll just go right into a little bit of professional development uh, or self improvement. And can you tell us uh, what are you reading right now, or or what what book do you have a recommendation for everyone out there? So um, I kind of most recently switched to uh, audiobooks. <laughs> so the most recent one uh, on a trip to Florida I was listening to was Chip Wars. And essentially going back to uh, when the microprocessors and chips were just first created up until now. And the shift of power between different countries when it comes to development. So I would recommend reading that one, but that's more a recommendation of, uh, from IT nerd. But most of my time currently consumed by, uh, since I'm out of the MIT field, is uh, I'm trying to stay on the top of the, when it comes to IT knowledge. So if you haven't seen it yet, but the Air Force has a digital university where you can, uh, you can register for certain tracks and you can essentially get Udemy for free. So the, the one I'm currently registered for is a cyber engineer. So essentially, uh, instead of reading, I'm currently just kind of going through the, all, the, all those uh, CBTs, so to speak, and just trying to, just, just trying to refresh my knowledge when it comes to IT. But the, if I had to pick one book, I would recommend uh, to check out the Chip Wars because it's very it's very interesting as far as uh, not just from IT perspective like microprocessors and chips, but just interesting the politics and the collaboration between different countries and how uh, negotiations etc. Just I think it's interesting if you speaking of influence, right? So if you're trying to figure out how to influence people, uh, how to develop a strategy, etc. So it's pretty pretty interesting uh, read or you, even if you want to listen to audio book. Hey, there's no shame in listening to audiobooks. I, I see it as a great use of time. You know, if you're rocking it out on the treadmill or, you know, fighting San Antonio traffic or something <laughs> like that, you know, you got an hour to kill to drive five miles down 35, right? So uh, you might as well, you know, do something with your ears, even if you can't read. When I was in San Antonio, I felt like I listened to a lot of NPR because I had satellite radio in my in my truck at the time. And so, so I had NPR on and I like when it's just uh, on the radio station. Cause you, you don't know, you, you know, it's going to choose like the next, the next story for you. It really takes me in, in directions that I wouldn't choose if I was just looking at a menu of different stories to listen to. So it's kind of interesting to go down that road. And, but, and I had an audible subscription back then because I was, 
an hour, 45 minutes to an hour commute one way each day in San Antonio. But now my commute is four minutes because I have less than a mile to travel. So, you know, I don't have a lot of time to consume media on that trip. It's four minutes for me, too, if it matters. <laughs> Altus is really small. <laughs> when it comes to San Antonio, I found the uh, actually like a better way to uh, get to Lackland, but it involves like taking uh, some back roads. Hildar, we, uh, you know, we brought you on the show because other people out there recommended that we talk to you, that you'd be a great guest on the show. So I'll throw one more uh, at you and say, you know, who do you think that we should talk to? Ooh, interesting. I I'll have to no go. gotchas. Well, I we don't have to make this part of the show. <laughs> no, but, I know. Uh, <laughs> it's not really a gotcha. Yeah, I'm just trying to try to take someone that will have some some unique story to tell, right? Whether that's a background or like like their journey through a MSC career field. So I, I'm sure I can come up with some names. Just uh, before I propose someone, I even I just have to see if they're willing to do it. Because yeah, fair, okay. fair enough. Fair enough. Well, what I'll I'll revise my my comment and say, you know, one of the neat organic things that's grown from this podcast that we weren't necessarily planning for is a lot of the discussions that we've had and a lot of the the things that we've we've talked about have been at the recommendation of other people, other listeners. And so uh, we would welcome any recommendations that you have after the show of another person that that maybe we should talk to that that would bring a unique perspective uh that you know get their story out out into the public uh so you're welcome to reach back out to us at any time and 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 let us know who you'd like us to connect with absolutely that was fantastic like greg always coming in with like the eloquent yeah. great communicator he's already got that box checked it's like <laughs> uh, yeah expert bullshitter more like <laughs> <laughs> so i was just gonna say uh, ildar really great talking with you thanks so much for coming on the on the podcast we really appreciate having you on i know for me at least uh this was just a lot of great mentorship even especially as an imit uh hearing about a lot of the time that you've spent in imit and you know that's a big concern that i've had in in my career i've spent a lot of time in imit as well which I love. I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, so it's great to hear that you know there is hope for SGA or Squadron Commander, even things outside of IMIT. Uh, but also just sharing a lot of your wisdom from your GST experiences, uh, as well as your your current SGA perspective. Really, just a fantastic time uh, chatting with you. Uh, and then looking forward to seeing you in New Orleans. So this year, we, <laughs> it looks like D hits. We've changed locations. So hopefully, we'll we'll have some time to to shake hands and and spend some time in, in some fellowship there with our fellow IMIT years, but just really, really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate it guys. Th thanks for having me. Uh, this is a, uh, this is, this is really great. What you guys are doing. Uh, I think is you can uh, make that our core overall much closer because again, we we're pretty small, but uh, having something, uh, something like this to bring us uh, all together, kind of like a one guest at a time. That's, that's really great. So again, I appreciate you having me on this podcast. From all of us here to all of you there, have a great night. <laughs>